Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Hello. Good evening. Some of you were dramatically impacted by that video. It's very hard to follow up something so powerful. And some of you are waking up because they turned the lights back on. That's fair. You've had a long day so far, but it feels like we're only halfway through. you got a whole night of dodgeball and stuff, whatever that other stuff is going on here and self-promoting our own rap songs and all those kind of things. So uh, you got a full night ahead of you. It's pretty exciting. So how many of you guys, I just want to talk to youth leaders, took advantage of bubble ball? Oh, man, yes. I love it. How many, the first fall is the scariest one. After that, after you realize you're not really going to get hurt, it's, it's game on from there, and it's just, uh, just a matter going on. Um, I want to talk tonight a little bit about, <clears throat> excuse me, about some rules. How many of you guys love rules? We love them. We love them. So I'll be completely honest. The leaders are like, yeah, we love them. Like, lights out at midnight, love it. So I played college basketball, very small college, Lancaster Bible College. (laughs) Class of 2001, big, 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 big fan of LBC. Uh, And I also, while playing college ball, in the offseason, I would play a ton of basketball out on the courts. Anywhere there was a game, I would go out and I'd try to find it. Now, fortunately, I was six foot four, so getting picked on a team was not difficult. It's very easy when you're tall. They want you, so they're going to pick you on the games. But what quickly I realized early on in life, and you guys probably know this, is there's a different set of rules in the college game than there is in the city game. And if you try to play basketball, organized college basketball, the way they play in the park, one, you're going to foul out really fast, but it just doesn't have the same effect. So I became a big fan of rules, and I learned how to work the system in the college game to my advantage. Um, And pretty much within the set of rules, I could dominate, but I really grew my game out on the courts, which were different. All the activities you guys had today... Before you could participate in the activity, what'd they do? They explained the rules. And the rules had a couple different things going for them. One, the equipment that they have here at the camp is not cheap. So they want you to be able to learn how to properly use them and take care of them. And as well, if you're going to play like bubble ball, I can't imagine what the insurance cost when the, the first insurance adjuster walks out here and says, you're going to do what? You're going to hit kids with what? It has to be, what is it, like 8 to 10 inches, your head has to be from the top. Imagine your head sticking out or your butt sticking out. That's going to be painful. And then uh, those that did um, were shooting arrows at each other, hopefully the ones with the, uh, with the marshmallows on the end. You have to learn how to do that. And if you're an archer and you're you're accustomed to shooting the arrows, that's an easy thing. If you've never done it before, you looked ridiculous. You needed someone to teach you how to do that. So you could, because it's hard to figure out on that. And then someone probably walked away with a big welt on their arm, done that. You're probably still hurting a little bit from that. I did that as well. So I had, I went through the learning process. 
Uh, we didn't get to do zipline today, and some of you guys probably like felt like you're on zipline with the wind that was going on this afternoon. Man, it was crazy out there. But when you do the zipline, and most of you have been here before, probably done the zipline, you know that uncomfortable harness they put on you and the weird, awkward closeness you have with the guy that's there strapping you in and cutting off all circulation. But you need that because if that thing's not on awkwardly tight and uncomfortable, you could fall. So we want to make sure that we're taken care of and everything is done right. So rules, guidelines, procedures have a place in our life. The unfortunate thing that has happened, and a lot of times has happened in the church, and maybe some of you are victim to it, is we feel like there's a set of rules, there's a set of guidelines that you have to fall under in order to come to Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. If you guys have been to camp before, I'm going to peel back the curtain just a little bit. Tonight's the night. It's the third session. It's the most emotionally driven night. It's that night when you're just quite not, you're not super tired yet, but you're just getting there. But this is the night where we give you an opportunity. For someone who has not met Jesus, we're going to talk plainly and bluntly to you with the hopes that tonight will be the night where you engage that conversation of taking Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. And I know right now there's youth leaders that are praying and they got names in their head and, and that please be praying throughout the night because hopefully this will be a conversation you get to have later. For those of you who have already accepted Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I pray that tonight is an encouragement to you to pay attention to what's going on around you, the individuals around you, and how your role, your part of this tapestry can help bring others to Christ. The big important thing I want to share with you guys tonight is Jesus never said you have to get yourself together before coming to him. And if someone told you otherwise, they are wrong. It's one of the most uncommon misconceptions. And if you guys haven't experienced it yet uh, at this age, eventually you will run into it down the road. Jesus never said, clean yourself up before coming to me. Jesus never said, uh, Jesus doesn't have an image that he's trying to maintain that you have to fall in line in that. He's not asking you to be different, to follow him, to start that relationship. He knows how rude you are to your friends. He knows the four-letter words you use when you stub your toes. He knows the website that you frequently visit. He knows that your life is a mess, and he's not asking you to clean it up before coming to him. In John chapter 8, we run into a group of very pious religious leaders, these self-righteous religious leaders, and they're getting ready to stone a woman who was caught in adultery. And they gather together, and they find this as a great opportunity to kind of catch Jesus. Like, this would be a great time. So they literally take this woman, and they bring her before Jesus. If you watch any dramatic videos on this moment, you, know, you see all these guys, these, these super religious leaders, they're dressed up, they're standing around. They throw this woman at the feet of Jesus, and they're saying, what should we do with her? And they got stones in their hands. They're ready to literally stone her to death because that's what the rule says. She's caught in adultery. She should be stoned to death. Now they're looking to Jesus. What are we going to do? And John chapter 8, he says, as they continued to ask them, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone. And then a little time passes. He He's, you know, he's done some writing in the sand. One of those questions I'm going to ask him when I meet him. 
But eventually they all slither away. And then it's just Jesus and this woman. And Jesus stands up in verse 10. He says, he stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. From now on, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, do you think she went and never sinned again? No. Is he saying you have to go out and be perfect at this moment? No. Um, If you've been going to church your whole life, you've run into the verse John 3.16. For God so loved the world... I don't know why I'm reading it. (laughs) I think I memorized it in King James. I'm reading it ESV. It's it's throwing me off. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. We know this. Unfortunately, we stop there. Verse 17 comes right after 16. And verse 17 is one of the most precious verses in the Bible. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. First and foremost, Jesus wants to bring salvation to your life. That's his first priority. He's not looking to drop the hammer of condemnation or judgment or conviction on you. Do you think you're too messed up to be loved by God? Do you think maybe your sins are too dark? Maybe you feel like you're in a cycle of darkness that not even God can free you from. Maybe you feel like you're unworthy of his love and salvation. But guess what? You are. You're unworthy of it. None of us are worthy of it. That's the beautiful part about God's love. We don't get to earn it. He just gives it to us. None of us are worthy. None of us are good enough for it. That's what makes the love so outstanding and so special. Romans 5 tells us God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. It didn't say after we corrected everything. It didn't say after we fixed ourselves. It didn't say after we put our sins away, Christ died for us. It says what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you come to Christ, there's a few verses up here, and and I'm not going to break them all down, but I want you to understand, when you come to Christ, you will find a peace that passes all understanding. You will find a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You'll find a comforter in a time of need. You'll find an opportunity to abound in hope and joy. You will find strength and help, and you will find so much more. It's true that maybe no one came to your face and said, hey, you have to fix yourself before you can come to this church, or you have to fix yourself before Jesus will love you, but it's an unfortunate perception that is out there, and it's just something that's kind of built into culture, like if you're different, or if you're not, if you don't fit into this 
this, uh, this, this look or this style or, or these rules, then you're not going to be accepted in our house, in our family, in our tapestry. Maybe you remember some of these rules or heard some of these rules before. There's no running in church, no hats in church, no swearing in church, no yelling in church, no dancing in church, no coffee in the sanctuary, no smoking outside the front door. All these rules that we kind of put in place so everyone can fit in this little category. And these simple rules, some of them are for safety. I don't want anyone, you know, running in the church. Like, I'm the one that has to patch the walls when they break them. But... The, these little rules turn into big rules and turn into definitives, and we don't want that. Perhaps you felt like you had to dress the right way, you had to act the right way, you have to look, speak, you have to put a mask on yourself to hide the real you in order to be accepted. But young men, young women, look, we cannot expect someone who does not follow Jesus someone who is only interested in Jesus, we cannot expect that person to act like a Christian. You just can't put that expectation on them. What does it say about us if we turn people away simply because they do not look or act the part? You're welcome in the doors. If you look this way, if you act this way, if you say the right things, if you drink the right coffee, but if you don't, you got to go. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, and I love this verse, it's one of my favorite. Come to me, all who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you read the New Testament, go through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus hung out with some pretty messed up people. The song we sang earlier about Mary and the alabaster jar, not a lot of people would have hung out with her. And Jesus, not only was he with her, he accepted what she had for him. Jesus often found himself in parties, hanging out with people that uh, you probably wouldn't be comfortable having inside your doors. Maybe you're here tonight and this is, this is your story. Maybe you want to check out this Jesus guy and you walked into church on a Sunday morning or you walked into youth group on a Wednesday night and you were told you, you couldn't wear those clothes, you, you were told you, you can't say those words, you can't like those things, you can't drink this, you can't smoke that, you can't watch CNN, you can't have your lifestyle, uh, you can't have any doubts about God. Maybe you were told that the church and ultimately Jesus isn't for you because you don't have your stuff together. And if that happened to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the church or the people in the church didn't welcome you as you are. And I'm sorry you felt like you might have had to act a certain way, look a certain way, before you even had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. The church, unfortunately, too often puts expectations before you even can figure out who this Jesus guy is. We should be able to belong before we believe. You should be able to hear about Jesus before we decide to follow Jesus. We should be welcomed in the church. We should be welcomed in the youth group before you get your life figured out. The great thing is, when you do come to Christ, 
your desire to be different will come about. Because when you love something so much, you want to grow with that. For those of us who have been in church a while, for those of you that have been following Christ for a while, I don't want you to miss that it's okay for the church to be a little bit messy. It's okay because church is not supposed to be some holy, perfect huddle of people. Back in uh, when I was in high school, 14, 15 years old, see, I, I told you I got saved when I was young, really young, and I grew up in the church. My parents served in ministry. Uh, I was one of those kids where the, if the doors were open, we were there. You know that kind of kid? Singing in the choir before my voice changed, so I went from being a tenor to a bass in, in one cantata season. It was odd. I was there all the time. I didn't have problems with smoking or swearing because my parents made sure I didn't have those problems. I was that perfect, put together, everything act right, look right, church kid. And then one night in group, my youth leader came up to me and said, hey, I want to introduce you to Mark. Mark was not a put-together church kid. Mark smelled like way too much cologne trying to cover up the smell of smoke. Mark used four-letter words that I was not allowed to even repeat in conversation of this is what he said. Mark was a hot mess. That's probably the best way to describe him. And probably the last person I wanted to sit next to during youth group. I want you to hear uh, Mark's story. I reached out to him uh, if he could share his own uh, two-minute little testimony here. I started playing baseball uh, when I was 15, and I was playing with a bunch of kids that I didn't know at the time were Christians. I couldn't have told you what a Christian was from a Catholic or from an atheist. I, I didn't know. Uh, but all of those uh, young people were going to the same church, and they were nice to me, and they accepted me, even though I was a, a foul-mouthed, uh, uh, sometimes belligerent young man. And uh, eventually, uh, one of them invited me to go to church uh, at uh, Eastford Baptist. Uh, they had a youth group. I uh, walked in and uh, sat next to this uh, tall, scrawny guy named Sam Rempel. And uh, my youth pastor, or the man that became my youth pastor, said, I think you guys would get along fine, and walked in cold, not knowing the gospel, not knowing much about the Bible outside of just what I'd learned in Catholic Church, and uh, which was very little. And uh, within a few weeks, he started hearing about Jesus and how he loved me and the people that I was around, the adults especially, but the kids as well. Uh, they just treated me like I was a, a normal kid. And uh, despite my serious flaws, uh, came to Christ a few months later and uh, for the next three years, continued to go to that church regularly. And again, the adults and the teenagers all became friends and mentors and put me under their wing and loved me despite being the only Christian in my family uh, and uh, ended up putting me on a path where uh, I would end up going to Bible college, uh, eventually to seminary and uh, now a uh, successful business owner uh, serving in my church and in my community uh, where, you know, taking that lesson from when I was 15 
as that young kid, being able to just accept people as they are. That uh, that's really the way that Jesus is with us. That you know, he he, he does take us just as broken and messed up and dirty and whatever else we're into. Uh, he loves us before salvation as much as after. He wants a relationship with us despite anything we've done and despite all of the things he knows we're going to do eventually. Uh, and he wants that relationship. And we as a, as a community of believers have the opportunity to demonstrate what it's like to be Christ when we accept people as they are, always telling them the truth, but in love and pointing them to Jesus. Yeah, you can clap for him. I'll tell him you clapped. Uh, that successful business he owns is a Chick-fil-A, so, yeah, kind of a big deal. Um, truth be told, and he knows this, I didn't want him next to me that night. And then the next week when he showed up, and he was excited to see me, I was like, ugh. But I faked it. I faked it for a little while to be his friend. And I faked it for so long that eventually we, we became best friends. And we're together all the time. And maybe as I wanted a little rough edge in my life and he needed a little cleanup on his life, whatever it was, it worked out. And we were great friends. We went to uh, Word of Life Bible Institute for a year together. And uh, it, was, it was really cool. But the, the key part in that, and the one thing he missed and he didn't share in that story, is one of the reasons he came to church is because he was trying to figure out a way to commit suicide and someone invited him when he was in the, his thought process how he was going to do it. One of my friends, Jason, invited him to church. And it was good enough that night. They said, okay, I'll wait till next week. And he kept waiting for the shoe to drop. He kept waiting for someone to disappoint him, someone to turn their back on him. And because my leaders didn't, because we never turned our back on him, he never followed through on that commitment. And he's been through some dark times in his life. But his testimony, it's just so cool to see where, and it doesn't work out like that for everyone. Just because you accept someone doesn't mean they're going to own a Chick-fil-A down the road and you get free sandwiches. But what if? Spurgeon, and I don't have this quote written down, Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, has a great quote about love. And I'm going to botch it up something fierce. But the essence of it is, if you don't love them, pretend like you love them until you love them. And there's a lot of young men and women in here, and you like the way your youth group is. You like your friends. You like how clean it is. You like how everything is set up just so. Like the, the, we like how the teaching goes. We like how the music goes. We like all the events that we go to. And when someone comes in and has got a lot of mess in their life, and they mess that up, and they change that, you don't like that. What we forget is that's the exact person, that's the exact reason why we're in place. Eugene Peterson once said, said, when Christian believers gather in churches, everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. Just as a hospital collects the sick under one roof and labels them as such, the church collects sinners. Christian churches are not, as a rule, model communities of good behavior. They are, rather, places where human misbehavior is brought out in the open, faced, and dealt with. 
I've been in a lot of hospitals. I spent a lot of time visiting people in hospitals, and there hasn't been a single time where I've been in a hospital where someone came in sick and they turned them away because they were sick. Now, the whole COVID thing changes some of that. I've seen that happen. So this illustration doesn't really stand for the last two years, but let's imagine the last few years didn't happen. We'd all like to do that anyways. But when you're sick, where do you go? When you're really sick, you go to a hospital. And they take you in. And they allow you to come in because they know that you need something. And they know that what they have is what you need. They're going to provide it for you. They're going to tell you what's wrong with you. But they're going to offer you a solution. And then they're going to put you on a path to healing. When you are hurting, when you are without Christ and you find a church, you find a body of believers to come into, and you're hurting, they're going to welcome you in. Because they have what you need. They have what can quote-unquote, fix you, and they're going to help you on the path to spiritual healing. The Gospels, the Bible is full of broken people coming to God, coming to Jesus. And time and time again, when these broken people came to Jesus, he welcomed them. Tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, children, adulterers, Samaritans, all these people who were culturally despised, Jesus welcomed them in. And Jesus was never uncomfortable. He loved everyone just where they were at. And when people around him went out of their way to avoid them, Jesus went directly to them. Jesus never says you're unwelcome. Rather, he opens up his arms and welcomes you to him. He never said, you have to get your stuff together before I can help you. He never said to the, to the blind man, you got to figure out how to see and then I'll help you see. Jesus modeled this with his life. And then years later, Paul wrote down some of the qualities that Jesus had when his interaction with others. If we look at the book of Ephesians chapter four, Paul writes, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is, we're talking to you, believer. We're talking to you, Christ follower. This is what, how you should be. We should walk with all humility, gentleness, patience, we should bear with one another in love. We should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. One body, one spirit, just as you're called, one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. I don't know what you hear in this passage, but I hear that if the believer is following this, this is a safe, real authentic community. If we spend too much time focusing on our own little piece of the tapestry, then we'll be unfulfilled. But if we step back and look at the bigger, broader picture, our part in the big tapestry, the big kingdom tapestry of life, if we step back and look at that and realize that there is something bigger going on here. The best shot that you and I have of following Jesus is actually letting these words sink in and follow him. Let's look at verse 2. This, imagine walking day to day with this in your life, with all humility, all gentleness, patience, and love. This is how we are to walk. This is how we are to engage. This is how the sick who walk in our doors will get to meet Jesus. 
Christian, at all times, you're to walk with humility. Christian, with, at all times, you speak with each other with gentleness. At all times, we should endure each other with patience. And we should walk side by side, bearing each other's burdens in love. And we need to remind ourselves daily that we are created in God's image. And the other person is also created in God's image. And they are due the respect that that bears. Verse 3 tells us, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That can't happen if we're yelling at each other. That can't happen if we're turning our backs on each other. That can't happen if we're focused on each other's shortcomings. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to create an environment that is real, safe, and authentic. And if you're here tonight and you're still trying to figure out who this Jesus is and what role is he going to play in your life, find that person that's walking in humility, in love, and talk to them. When we go into, we're going to break out from here, we're going to go into our small group time, and I'm going to leave you with one question. One single question you need to ask yourself. What are you going to do about Jesus? If you've already accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, let me back up. Maybe you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Have you taken him as your Lord? Are you willing to walk and follow in his steps? Are you willing to walk with humility, with gentleness, with patience and love? And if you're here tonight and you want this Jesus in your life and you, or you want more information on this Jesus in life, talk to your leaders. That is why they are here this weekend. That is why they are spending time away from their families, away from their beautiful, wonderful, comfortable beds to sleep on these things that are like yay thick but feel like they're this thick. They are here this weekend not because they're in love with bubble ball, not because they're in love with the food, but because they're in love with Jesus and they're in love with you and they want you to meet Jesus. If Jesus Christ is not your personal Lord and Savior, don't wait for tomorrow. Have that conversation tonight. Young men, young ladies, what are you going to do about Jesus? Father God, we humbly come before you Acknowledging that you loved us in our mess. You came to us in our mess. You gave Jesus Christ as the ultimate sacrifice, your only son, while we were still a mess. And Jesus, you have welcomed us with open arms, even in our mess. God, there are some students here tonight who need to give themselves over to you. May tonight be the night that they make that commitment to say, Jesus, I want you as my Savior. I need you as my Savior. And God, there are students here tonight who have taken you as their Savior but need to take you as their Lord. Need to walk in humility and gentleness and love.
May the next few moments, the times that we're together, may there be moments where we're making decisions that are going to last literally an eternity. May you be honored in all things. Your great precious name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.